Hello fans of the beautiful game. Welcome to episode 20 of the DKB Footy Show. I am your host David Ballett and I must say I'm really really glad to be back again with you guys. After I had to take a bit of a break, I took a week off. Sorry about that last week. I wasn't able to post anything, post any new episodes. That was unfortunately because I was swamped with a lot of commitments. I had exams, I had work. So yeah, but I'm a lot freer now. And I'm really excited to talk about the past week's events in football or the past two weeks. So we had an international break that was just concluded. That was the last international break of the year. Who's happier than I am? I'm really not sure because I'm so excited. We're going to have unfiltered, unadulterated, uninterrupted league football for the next, what is it, like four months until March of next year. I'm so happy. No more interruptions, man. So all the leagues, we're really going to know who's going to win like every league probably by by the time the next international break comes up or even by next year january february we'll probably already know but i want to talk a bit about the international break actually and talk about the uefa nations league which was exciting the uefa nations league has really really brought excitement once again into international football into the international breaks the football breaks and yeah, the past week did not disappoint. In fact, the past week was actually the most exciting week out of all the other like game weeks that they've had since this like young competition started up. So the semifinals have been set and the teams that are going through to the semis are Portugal, England, Switzerland and the Netherlands. Portugal will be hosting the semis next summer and the fixtures are yet to be decided i don't I don't know how that's gonna work out but i would just like to talk a bit about these four teams and their qualification processes so so we had i'll actually just talk about their, their groups in general and the standout matches so we had croatia versus spain croatia defeated spain three goals to two it was a very good game very entertaining game Croatia got a a very much needed win to keep their hopes alive in the group because if they had lost that match, they would have been relegated, which unfortunately they still are, but they gave themselves a very good fighting chance by defeating Spain and also by recovering from that hangover of the World Cup after they they got a spanking by Spain in Spain by six goals to nil. It was very, very important that they were able to get this win and really show that they are still that it was not a fluke the reason why they got to the final of the world cup was not because of any fluke of fixtures or anything it's because they're actually that damn good and i was happy to i was happy for them that they got that win so that got that and it it that win actually also made the group very very difficult because once the second match came up against england which was a few days later, every team in the group had a chance of going through. So if the game had ended as a nil-nil draw, 
Spain would have topped the group and gone through to the semis. If it had ended in a score draw, I believe Spain would have still gone through, but England would have been the ones who got relegated. And then England had to win the match, basically. It was a must-win for them if they were going to get to the semifinals. And let's talk about that match as well. England-Croatia, that was as entertaining as it gets in international friendlies or international breaks. I've never really watched a more a more um, high-pressure, a more exciting, a more like energetic match than that in, in terms of international matches, except obviously from like major competitions. But in terms of international breaks, that was a very, very entertaining match. I was not disappointed at all. England got the win, which was very well deserved, but they worked hard for it. Croatia could have definitely won this match. In the first half, England had by far the better chances, though Croatia had the first clear-cut chance that they should have scored from, from the um, open post. They missed that. But after that chance, it was all England. England really piled on the pressure throughout the whole first half. They kept possession. Croatia really like had no answers once the second half came though croatia really grew back into the game and they got a good goal they got a goal from andre kramaric after he twisted and turned in the box and got a goal off the deflection from i believe it was john stones they got the one nil lead and from there england actually looked quite shell-shocked for i would say 20 minutes after the goal was scored Croatia had chances to actually bury the game. If they had just been smarter on the ball with the final pass, I think they could have killed this game and they would have won the match and they would have been the ones to go through. However, they were not able to capitalize on the chances they had and England brought on the substitutes of Jesse Lingard and and um, Jadon Sancho and they definitely changed the match in England's favor. I think Lingard got the goal to make um, to equalize the match with his first touch of the game. That was like in the 85th or 86th minute. And then not long after that, Harry Kane came up with the goods, got the 2-1, the goal to make it 2-1 and to give England the victory. And it was a well-taken goal by him from the set piece. And it was very expert, expertly taken. I was happy to see that because he hardly had a sniff at goal throughout the whole match. And it just shows you the quality of a striker like Harry Kane, arguably the best number nine in the world right now. He was able to get that win even without having any other chances to score on goal. He just got one chance and he took it very, very expertly. So it was very, very good for him. The Wembley crowd was energetic it was amazing to see like the the players after the match the players came out and actually said that that was the most um the most high tension i would say like the most atmospheric match that they'd ever played at wembley and that probably includes world cup qualifiers because i mean those are usually just dead rubbers that they they usually just beat small teams so this was a very well-contested match and the crowd was up for it. And the crowd really, really played a part in England getting that win. And it was very, very well-deserved for them. And they they went through. They went through the group. Unfortunately for Croatia, though, Croatia got relegated and are going to be playing in the lower division starting from 
when next the UEFA Nations League resumes. <clears throat> but yeah, congratulations to England. Finally, they, they make a semi-finals and they have a very good shot of winning this and giving their fans some silverware because England definitely needs some. The, the country has been begging for a successful national team. They've had the talent in the past, but they've just never been able to provide any, anything tangible. And this time around, it looks like Gareth Southgate knows what he's doing with this young group of players, man. They have the depth. They have very exciting players in all positions. And it really showed in this match. It was really the depth that they used to defeat Croatia. And yeah, they seem to be going from strength to strength. And also, they went away in showing that it wasn't really a fluke that they got to the semis, even though I would still argue that it kind of was because it didn't really beat anybody. But at least they beat Spain in this group. They beat Spain away from home and then defeating Croatia at home and drawing the first leg away. It really showed that, yeah, this team is maturing at a very fast pace. So good for England. They have topped group three in League A and no, sorry, group four in League A and they're through to the semis. So Spain is second, Croatia relegated, unfortunately for them. Then the other team that has that, that went through, the next team I want to talk about is going to be Switzerland. Switzerland defeated Belgium five goals to two in an absolutely entertaining and crazy match. Can you believe like Belgium was two goals ahead within the first 20 minutes? And then right after that, Switzerland came back, equalized, and made it 3-2 before the first half was even over. Once the second half came on, they created more and more chances, and they got five goals to take home and to go top of the group. Belgium just needed to avoid defeat, I believe, if they wanted to, to top that group. Because going into the match, both teams had six points, and I believe Belgium beat Switzerland in Belgium earlier when they met. So all they needed was just to avoid defeat and they would have gone through, but they couldn't do that. Switzerland like gave them way too much, gave them way more than they could handle. And yeah, so Switzerland went through and they've also gone through to the semis and it's good for them as well. It's good to see that most of the teams that actually went through in all the groups were not necessarily the favorites. So Belgium were definitely overwhelming favorites in this group, in group two. But they're unfortunately going to have to stay behind. They both had nine points, but obviously because Switzerland has the head-to-head, they went through. And then Iceland, unfortunately, they lost all the matches. So they're going to be relegated and it's Switzerland top, Belgium second. And they're through to Portugal next summer. And speaking of Portugal, they also went through. They won their group as well without a certain Cristiano Ronaldo playing in any of these matches. They were able to top a group that included Italy and Poland. I know these are the two countries and um, Poland, well, Poland is having the best squad that they've ever had probably in their history. But And Italy, Italy is still trying to regain the glory days. But still, this Portugal team really showed that they're actually capable of winning without Ronaldo. What a young team. They had the likes of finally calling up Ruben Neves, playing in midfield. Andre Silva, who's been in form for Sevilla. 
played very well for them as well. Bernardo Silva, obviously, we all know how good he's been this season for City. And he's translated that also into his international team. His national team, sorry. And Renato Sanchez is also having a bit of a renaissance as well. So that was good for him to come back. And I'll just maybe talk about the, the matches that they played in in the group over this past break. So it was Poland versus Italy. Italy beat Poland 1-0 away from home. And then Portugal... Portugal, I think they, they needed a draw to go through and they were able to get it against Poland as well. They were actually at home against Poland and the match ended 1-1. They were in the lead and then they gave away a penalty and a red card, which in my opinion was not a penalty or a red card. But yeah, they gave that away and Poland were able to come back and make it 1-1 through Milik. But that's the way the match ended and that's all Portugal needed to win the group. So they got that job done. And then the following match, they played against Italy away from home. And that match ended nil-nil. So, but by then they had already qualified. So all they needed was, I mean, they were just playing. I think Italy was more or less playing for pride, I would say. So, yeah, they got they got that win. Actually, I think Italy could have qualified. If I'm, I'm looking at the points. So Portugal had eight points. Italy finished with five. So if it had, if they if Italy had won, I think Italy would have had to win and win by more than what Portugal beat them. So it would have had to, to it would have been a head to head um competition. But yeah, so Portugal avoided defeats and yeah ended that way. So Portugal through to the semis, and I'm pretty sure Ronaldo is going to be back for that. I think the reason why Ronaldo didn't play in any of the international breaks is because he's just joined a new club and he needs to acclimatize himself to the club and in addition to that there's just been so much controversy with him off the field with the sexual assault allegations that he's currently being investigated for so i believe fernando santos just thought it would be wise for him to focus on his own personal life and his new club career and it wasn't necessary for him to come for any of the matches, which I mean, I understand. It's just the it's the Nations League. It's it's just a new competition, and it's not like it was a do or die affair for Portugal to make it through. But make it through they did, and very very deservedly so. And they're going to be hosting the semis as well, so it just gives them that extra motivation to go in and win those matches, win the semifinals. I don't know if it's going to be a two-legged or one, or it's obviously one-legged since it's on neutral ground. So they have to win and get to the final. Italy, on the other hand, came in second. They still have a lot of work to do. Roberto Mancini has a lot of work to do if he wants to galvanize this team and take them back to the glory days. They have a lot of work to do. They've got a few players They've got this new striker called Lasagna. I forget his first name, but what what a name. What That's just the best name in football that you could ask for. He seems to be doing all right. Um, the midfield is is pretty decent. They still got guys like Lorenzo Insigne also in attack. Marco Verratti in midfield. And the defense is, is still as good as, as good as it has always been. But the results are just not forthcoming. And Italy just needs to start playing a lot better. Than, than they have been over the past 
two or three years. And Poland, on the other hand, they got relegated, unfortunately for them, but it was expected. It was a really tall order for them to get anything out of this group. It was a tough group and they've got, gotten relegated. And then the last group, which was definitely on paper, at least the most exciting going in, was the group group one involving Netherlands, France and Germany. And the Netherlands, can you believe it? The Netherlands were the ones who were able to top this group. And they did it in a very entertaining and well-deserved way. I take nothing away from them. They were able to beat France at home 2-0 and then literally crawl back from the dead against Germany, losing by two goals to nil, going into the last five minutes of the match of regular time. And they were able to come back and grab the equalizer that got them the ticket to go to Portugal. If they had not, if they had failed to win this match against Germany, sorry, if they had failed, if they had lost against Germany, they would not have made it through and France would have made it through. And, but yeah, it was Netherlands who made it through. They, they got a very well-deserved win against France, 2-0 was goals from Memphis, Depay, and Genie one at Wijnaldum. They absolutely dominated them, bossed that match. France really had no answers for them. France are really just looking like they're just cruising through matches now because they're still on a high from winning the World Cup. So they're not really taking any other matches that seriously. And I mean, in, in all fairness, I don't think French, the French people, the French football fans are going to be disappointed that they were not able to make it through to the to the semis. I think they can settle for being World Cup champions and nothing else really matters to them at this point. So France is not going to be disappointed. And also, they didn't get relegated. They came second in the group, so they're going to stay. But Germany, on the other hand, they should be disappointed. I mean, obviously, it's not the end of the world that Germany didn't make it through. But that being said, for Germany... And the words relegation to be used in the same sentence is just odd. That just sounds weird. And they only have themselves to blame, really, because they have had an absolute stinking 2018. This has been the worst calendar year in German football history. And it just ended... It, it, the, the way it ended, especially the way this match ended against Netherlands, really, really summed up their whole year. Because they had this match in the bag. They dominated it. They got two early goals through Timo Werner and Leroy Sané. And then they were not able to keep the the lead. They blew the lead away in the last like five minutes of the match. So that was just disappointing. And they've gotten relegated. So it's really going to be time for introspection in the DFB. I think... Yogi Love has at least shown some indication that he's not going to tolerate the bad performances of the really established guys anymore. He is going to start playing the younger guys again, guys like Leroy Sané, who he should have called up for the World Cup but didn't. And he's been he's actually been playing quite well, which is good to see he got the goal. And yeah, it seems like they're going to stick with with um with Yogi Love though it seems like he's not going to get relegated <laughs> not going to get sacked sorry so if he can keep his job let's see if he has what it takes to build another german team and make them competitive once again 
they're not short of any talent, though they have more than enough talent in most positions. I would say the position where they, they're kind of lacking is at number nine. I don't think Timo Werner has really been setting the world alight anymore since that first season that he had with Leipzig. So that might be a concern for them. But yeah, Germany has some work to do, man. They have to bounce back and really show that they're not gone, that, they're, that they still have a lot to play for. But they're going to have to be doing that in League B of the Nations League. So let's see how that goes for them. But yeah, that's about it for the big teams that made it through in the Nations League. So it's Netherlands, Switzerland, Portugal, and England playing the semifinals next year, next summer in Portugal. So we'll see what the fixtures are, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be very exciting. I like the countries that made it through because those are actually the countries that are going to take this very seriously. If the likes of Spain, France, and um, Belgium like made it through, I don't think they would have taken it as seriously as these other teams would have. And I'm happy for them. It's good to see them through. And then the teams that have also gotten promoted into League A for the next round of the Nations League is Ukraine. They topped their group in League B. Sweden as well topped their group over Russia and Turkey. Bosnia and Herzegovina topped their group. Denmark topped theirs. And yeah, I don't know how many teams are. Probably it should be. It should be the four teams in, in Group B, right? Yeah, so it's going to be Denmark, Bosnia, Sweden, and Ukraine that are going up to League A. And let's see how they're able to perform. It's going to be interesting to see how the whole Nations League pans out in the future, though. I don't really know how it's going to, it's going to be. There's a lot of debates as to whether this is actually good for the smaller nations or not. Because... The smaller nations have to qualify to the higher leagues in order to play against big teams. So we don't know how that's going to happen. We don't know if maybe like in a few years' time, it's just going to be the big teams just shuffling themselves around in Group A and Group B. And all the small teams don't ever get to make it up up there. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. And it's going to be interesting to see if it keeps being entertaining. Because this was just the first round. So maybe because it was the first time around and because it was something new, a new concept added to the international friendlies, to the international breaks, a lot more viewers are more interested. But in the long term, I don't know if it's sustainable. It's going to be interesting to see. But also for the small teams, I would say it's at least it gives them a chance of making it through to the Euros because the teams that I think the, the, the winning teams in the lower leagues in the Nations League, at least one of them will make it through to Euro 2020 without going through the qualification process. So we're talking about the likes of maybe Scotland or even Andorra or Azerbaijan or one of them making it through to the Euros, which is going to be huge for those nations. So maybe there is something to benefit for smaller countries, but it remains to be seen. Only time will tell. But that's about it for my UEFA Nations League recap. And let's move on over to the fixtures for this weekend. And I'm going to start off with the Copa Libertadores final. The second leg, which is going to be played at the River Plate Stadium in Estadio Monumental. The first leg ended 2-2. 
So it's a well-balanced match leading up to this. It's a well-balanced fixture leading up to the final. And just keep note that there is no away goals rule in in this final. So it's just purely going to be based on goal aggregate. So it's whoever wins this match is going to win the Copa Libertadores. But River Plate definitely have home advantage and we'll see if they can make it count. Boca Juniors failed to make it count. They went ahead twice in the first leg and River Plate got the equalizer twice. They came back from behind twice and got a well-deserved 2-2 draw. And yeah, this is a very well-balanced match. The hype is still a lot. The hype is huge for this match. A lot of people are very excited for this. There's been a lot of global global um, attendance in terms of viewers, in terms of those attending at the stadium as well. It's just been crazy, man. The publicity that this fixture has gotten is it's, it's great to see. It's great to see a match outside of Europe getting this level of publicity. And a lot of people even argue that this is the biggest rivalry in world football. And so far, it's definitely lived up to the hype. So let's hope that the second leg is as fun as the first leg. The second leg should be played later today on Saturday. So we'll see. We'll see who wins the first ever the first ever Buenos Aires derby in the Copa Libertadores final. This is also going to be the last two-legged final. So what a way to end the two-legged matches with River Plate versus Boca Juniors. So let's see how that match goes. Then over to the Premier League. The fixtures for the Premier League are going to be the standout matches. Definitely Tottenham Hotspur versus Chelsea. That is seems like it's going to be a really, really cracking match. I'm expecting a few goals from this match. This is going to be a London derby. So obviously the Wembley crowd is going to be up for it. It's still sad though that Spurs are still playing at Wembley. We would have expected their new stadium to be ready by now. But it seems like they are going to have to wait until January before they move into the new stadium. So for now, they're still going to be have to playing in Wembley. But we'll see. We'll see how that goes for them. They're playing against Chelsea. So it should be, it should be fun and interesting to see. Hazard has kind of been out of form lately. He hasn't really been performing at the level that he was. And at least, I mean, Chelsea hasn't really suffered for it because the other players in the team have actually stepped up. And I, I must say, Chelsea has definitely overperformed. They have outperformed all the expectations that we had for them this season. But this is a truly stern test. Let's see if they're able to maintain their unbeaten record. They're still the only unbeaten club in Europe's top five leagues in all competitions. So they're going to be looking to maintain that record. And Spurs are going to be looking to put a dent to Chelsea's title hopes as well. And they need to play well to get this win. They have definitely not played as well as we have expected from them. But they have gotten the results and they are still in the top four. And how many points difference is it between these two? Let me just look at that real quick. But I don't believe it's a huge difference. I think if if Spurs... Yeah, so it's just a point difference. So if Spurs gets this win, they're actually going to go up to third place. So there's a lot to play for in this match. There's definitely, this is a high stakes match. Harry Kane, let's see if he's, he seems to be slowly but surely coming back to form. And the fact that 
Spurs have been able to get these results without Harry Kane playing at the height of his powers just says a lot. But if they're going to be able to maintain this good start to the season, Harry Kane definitely needs to start pumping in the goals. And what a what better match could they have to start off with than against Chelsea? The likes of Eriksen and Dele Ali should also be back and fully prepared, fully fit to play this match. They've had their injury concerns um, throughout the start of the season. They should be back. And the likes of Lucas Moura are still going to be fighting for a place in the starting eleven. And yeah, man, this is going to be a cracking fixture. I'm really looking forward to it. Spurs versus Chelsea, London derby. It's going to be the late kickoff later today. So we'll see how that goes. And then we've got West Ham versus Manchester City. That should be a straightforward win for City. They are just going from strength to strength. They absolutely pummeled Manchester United last time around in the Manchester derby. They got a well-deserved 3-1 win, which could have even been more than 3-1. Got goals from Gundogan, Aguero with that rocket and David Silva. And to think that they've been doing this without their best player and the pitch, Kevin De Bruyne, is just mind-boggling. These guys are so good. They are so fucking good. And yeah, I don't. I feel sorry for West Ham because the London Stadium is just a huge pitch. And we all know Pep teams that like to pass around, play their best football on big pitches. So, yeah, this can go. I can see this being another 3-4-0 win. And it wouldn't be a surprise at all. Man City definitely look even better than they did last season, which is just scary to say. And, yeah, um, it's going to take a lot from West Ham if they're going to get anything out of this match. But I don't really expect them to. Next match, we've got Manchester United versus Crystal Palace. Let's see if Manchester United can bounce back from the deserved loss against City. Pogba missed the match, which was a huge blow because we all knew once we saw that Pogba was a doubt for the match and that he wasn't on the starting eleven. like, yeah, it was, it was curtains for United against City. There was no way they were going to get anything out of the match without Pogba. Even with Pogba, the match would have probably ended the same. But at least he would have given them a fighting chance. But he should be back for this match, though. He should be back. Lukaku should be back as well. So we'll see how they play. I think Martial also picked up a knock. And he was supposed to play in the international break, but he had to return early because of the knock he picked up. So Martial should be back. So Manchester United should have a good squad going in. They do have a few injuries in other positions, though. But we'll see. It's a, it's a match against Crystal Palace. Every match seems like a do-or-die affair for Manchester United right now. And that's just sad that they've reached this state. They're currently in, what what is it, eighth position, and deservedly so. Level on points with Watford and Bournemouth. And we'll see what they can do against Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace are looking like they're, they're getting some life back. It looked like they were going to be... Well, they're still in the relegation struggle. But Wilfred Zaha, man, he's been doing everything for them. This guy has been so good. And I think he's going to be up for this match to show his former team that they... To show them what they're missing right now. So it's going to be entertaining. Or maybe not. Who knows? But Chris Palace definitely have a shot. I think every team that comes to Old Trafford these days has a shot of getting something. United have negative goal difference, negative one goal difference. And that's just embarrassing. As a fan, I'm just so disappointed and I'm still just counting down to the days when Mourinho gets sacked. 
but it's just looking more uncertain as to when that's going to happen. Well, we'll see how this match goes, though. And then we've got Watford versus Liverpool. This should be a tricky fixture for Liverpool. Watford have been playing very well this season. They've got a very good start to the season. They're struggling for top six for a top six place. They're currently in seventh. And Liverpool, on the other hand, they need to really keep up the pace with City, which is just looking increasingly difficult every week because they they get like tight wins. They get like the one nil win or the two nil win here and there. And then like they wait for City to play and City plays and just absolutely destroys the next opponent four goals to nil. As a Liverpool player, I think I feel like this must be very um disappointing to see. It can kill your morale at times. So it's gonna be a, a huge test of Liverpool's mental fortitude to see how they can really cope with this City team that is just absolutely dominating everybody. They're going to do very well to keep up the pace and it's matches like, like this that they need to win to be able to keep up the pace with City. I don't think there's a chance that they can keep it up with the amount of goals, but if they keep on getting 2-0 wins, 3-0 wins, 1-0 wins here and there, then they have a fighting chance at least. So it's going to be interesting. They also just gave a new contract to to um, Mane, who's locked down until 2023, I believe. All of their their front three is locked down now until 2023. So that's good for them. And it seems like Barcelona is not going to have any opportunity to steal any of their players anytime soon because it's been revealed that in the clause that, was, that had to be signed when Barcelona signed Coutinho last season, they had to agree that they would not, that they would pay at least 100 million pounds on top of the regular fee for any Liverpool player that they want to sign up until, is it 2023 or 2024? So good piece of business for Liverpool to get Barcelona's hands away from their players. Last match for the Premier League, it's going to be Bournemouth versus Arsenal. This should be a very entertaining fixture as well. I'm expecting a lot of goals from this match. Arsenal are without a win now in like four matches in all competitions. They've been they've drawn their last four matches consecutively, but they are still unbeaten in like the last 15 matches. So it's going to be a lot to play for in this match. It's away from home. And this fixture in the past has had some really entertaining matches. I distinctly remember the match where Bournemouth was leading 3-0 and Arsenal came back and equalized 3-3. With that, that was a very entertaining match, and I hope it's the same this time around. Bournemouth has a very good chance of winning this match, and so do Arsenal. I can see this match going either way, and I'm just excited for for the match. There were a few injury doubts for Lacazette and Aubameyang, but I think they should both be fit. I haven't really checked the injury news any um, lately, but I think they should both be fit for this match. So it's going to be very entertaining to watch. Over to La Liga, the standout match there is going to be Atletico Madrid versus Barcelona. This is a huge match. It's going to be first position against third position. Barcelona in first, Atletico in third. Barcelona has 24 points. Atletico have 23 points. If Atletico can get the win, they're going to go above Barcelona on the table. And I've been saying that this is Atletico's shot at winning the league once again, since they last won it, was it 20, 
15 or 16. They have a good shot of winning it once again because Barcelona looks shaky. The The defense is just shambolic this season. PK looks like he's past his prime, man. He looks like he's a 40-year-old defender. And yeah, he just, without him defending well in that team, the defensive unit itself is just going to be a shambles because we all know PK is a leader in that defense. So Atletico have a very good shot. They have been playing well of, of recent as well, and they've got the home match. It's going to be at the Metropolitano. So, yeah, man, if they had a shot to really show that they're title contenders this season, this is it. They have to get this win. And, I'm just, yeah, I'm looking forward to this match. It should be very exciting. Then we've got Aiba versus Real Madrid. Let's see if Santiago Solari can continue to pile on the wins for Real Madrid and get them back into the title race as well. Currently, because of Barcelona's shaky form, they are still within, I believe it's four, four points off the top. So let me just confirm that really quickly. They are in sixth position and yeah, they have 20 points. So they're just four points off of Barcelona. So they still have a chance of getting something tangible out of this season, despite their really shaky start. And yeah, Santiago Solari, let's see if he's the man for the job to really take them through to the end of the season. He was able to get his extension to the end of the season. So, so I think he signed a contract for is it four or five years. But we all know Real Madrid managers never, ever last that long. But at least it was good that he has gotten the vote of confidence from the board to at least take the team to the end of the season. So let's just see how that goes for them. And then Sevilla, who are in second place, are playing against um, Real Valladolid. And they're also going to see this as a very good chance to go top of the table because if Atletico and Barcelona, if Barcelona fails to win and Sevilla gets the win, they're going to go to the top of the table. So it's a huge opportunity for them as well. And I'm sure they're going to be licking their lips at this match. They should be able to get the three points with no problem. And then over to Serie A, the standout fixture from there is going to be a battle for the top four between Lazio and AC Milan. Lazio is playing at home versus AC Milan. It's fourth versus fifth. Lazio in fourth position. AC Milan is fifth. It's just one point that separates the two. So if AC Milan can get the win, they're going to go into the top four. And if Lazio gets the win, they're at least going to extend the lead that they have in the top four race. Um, AC Milan, the, yeah, there, Iguain is going to be looking to get some goals. And speaking of the strikers for AC Milan, there's news that Zlatan Ibrahimovic is currently undergoing negotiations with AC Milan to return for the second half of the season on a six-month contract. I... I'm not really a fan of this deal. I don't really see how this makes any sense. I mean, Zlatan is definitely, his legs are gone. He can't run like he used to. He's dominating in the MLS because he's just, his football brain is, is, on, a, is on another level to that of the MLS players. And he also has the team making all the runs for him. And he's scoring a lot of headers and things like that. Whereas in AC Milan, who's going to do the running for him? It's Iguain. Iguain is not is not the most active footballer as well. They're kind of of the same mold. 
So Higuain is definitely not going to do any making to be making any runs for Zlatan. So I don't know if they plan on playing the two of them together up front or if they're going to bench Higuain, which is still not a wise decision for me because Higuain is still scoring a lot of goals. And also for this guy, Patrick Cutrone, it seems like his development is going to be impeded if Zlatan comes to the team. He's also been having a decent season and he looks like one for the future for the club. So I don't really see why they would be re-signing Zlatan. I mean, in terms of the media publicity and in terms of like commercial sales, for commercial reasons, I can see why they're trying to get this deal done. But in terms of footballing, for purely footballing purposes, I don't, I'm not a fan of this deal. But it's quite credible. It seems like it's going to happen once the MLS... I mean, the MLS season should already be over, I think. I think they're in the playoffs right now and the LA Galaxy didn't make it to the playoffs. So, yeah, let's see. I, let's see if it happens, but I'm not a fan at all. Then we've got Juventus versus Spal. Should be an easy three points for Juventus to maintain their lead at the top of the table. And yeah, they're playing against Spal, who are just newly promoted to the league. And yeah, I don't really give them much of a chance. Juventus still are six points ahead on the top of the table, six points ahead of Napoli and nine ahead of Inter Milan, whereas Spal are in 15th position. So yeah, that's going to be a straightforward win for Juventus, expectedly so. Then next, we've got Inter versus Frosinone. Inter Milan lost last week heavily against Atalanta. I think they lost like 4-1 or was it 5-2 or something like that. Something ridiculous. But yeah, they did not put in a good performance at all in the in the last match that they played. So they're definitely going to be looking to bounce back. And unfortunately for them, they were they lost their place at second position at the table because of that loss. So, so yeah, they need to bounce back with a win. And, yeah, they have a good chance. I mean, it's, it's Forsenone. Forsenone, what's their position on the table? Let me see. They are in 19th. Oh, yeah. So it should be a straightforward win for Inter. Let's see how that goes. And then, lastly, we've got Napoli versus Kievo. Let's see if Napoli can keep up keep pace well not even keep pace but at least yeah at least be within touching distance of Juventus at the top and really cement their place as the second best team in the league I really like the job that Carlo Ancelotti has been doing with this team both in the Champions League and in the league it seems like they have a good shot of progressing in the toughest group arguably in the Champions League and they are still maintaining their form in the league so kudos to Ancelotti man this is what um this guy, um, Sari last season, he was only able to keep them competitive in the league, but they got knocked out in the Champions League group stage. So it's nice to see the boss like Ancelotti coming and maintaining the performances that they had in the league and making them even better in the Champions League. They're playing Kiev. Kiev are currently on zero points. And I don't think anything's going to change this week. So over to the Bundesliga, we've got... Well, let me just talk a little bit about the the Classica between Dortmund and Bayern that took place last time out. Dortmund got the 3-2 win. This was a very high, tense match. And Dortmund got a well-deserved win. They actually had to come back from behind twice. Bayern took the lead 
first Dortmund equalized Bayern scored again to make it 2-1 Dortmund equalized and then got the 3-2 win I believe it was through Paco Alcasa who has actually just made his deal with the club permanent he signed a permanent contract with the club so that's good for him he's been doing wonders for that team and he's been a revelation this season it's been so surprising to see that this guy who could barely get a kick for Barcelona is setting the world alight in the Bundesliga. Good for them. And now they're seven points ahead of Bayern in the league. Bayern are not even in the top four. And I think that definitely, I mean, it's still too early to call. Bayern can still come back, but I definitely see Dortmund as being heavy favorites to win the league once again, which they haven't been able to do since um, Jurgen Klopp left. So, yeah, Lucien Favre is doing a great job with these guys, man. I'm happy to see that. And I hope they're able to maintain this form and actually top the, the league at the end of the season. Bayern, on the other hand, have a lot of introspection. It looks like Niko Kovac is finally losing the dressing room. Seems like a lot of players are unhappy with him. I think I talked about this last time out, where Thomas Muller's wife went on social media and basically criticized him for not starting... Thomas Mulan for only playing him in the second half. So, yeah. Bayern, though, they play against Fortuna Dusseldorf this time around. So, they're, Bayern are in fifth position. I don't know if they can make it back to the top five. They probably will if they get the win. And they should because Fortuna are, are a newly promoted team in the league. So, let's see how that goes. And then Dortmund are playing away from home against Mayans. Should be a win for Dortmund as well. And let's see if they can continue to go from strength to strength. But yeah, the Bundesliga is very exciting this season. All the leagues are very exciting this season, to be honest. Then League 1, unfortunately, that's not an exciting league because PSG are just absolutely dominating. They've won every single match. And I don't see any difference this time around because they're going to be playing against Toulouse at home. And... Yeah, this should just be a straightforward win for them. We're talking 4-5-0 as usual, like they usually do. Though Neymar and Kylian Mbappe are not going to be playing in this match because they got injured over the international break. And I'll touch on that in just a minute because I'm going to talk about the Champions League, which also returns this week. I just love the fact that whenever there's an international break, the champ um the when whenever domestic football returns, there's always a Champions League fixture, which is just exciting. It's like a reward for having to to um sit down and and make it through the international break. So yeah, I'm just gonna give a rundown of the main fixtures this time around in the Champions League. It's match day five. This is the second to the last match in the group stage. And the standout matches we've got is going to be AS Roma versus Real Madrid. That group, let me take a look at that group. Real Madrid are top of the group, but they're level on points with Roma, both on nine points. Real Madrid has high goal difference and has head-to-head advantage over Roma. But Roma can definitely turn that around. And it's going to be a very tricky fixture for Santiago Solari, man. Because Roma are definitely going to be looking at this match and thinking that they have a very good shot of, of winning. They can get definitely get the win, and it wouldn't surprise me. But it is the Champions League, and this is Real Madrid's bread and butter. So Real Madrid definitely are going to be all out for this match as well. They don't necessarily have to win, 
to maintain top spot in the group. So maybe they might actually take a negative approach to this match. It would surprise me if they do, but I mean, considering the whole circumstances and what's been going on with them this season, the struggles that they've had, I, it's possible. You never know. So yeah, AS Roma is playing at home against Real Madrid. If Roma wins, they're going to go top of the group. If Real Madrid avoid defeats, they're going to maintain their place at the top of the group going into the last match. We've got Lyon versus Manchester City. Despite Manchester City's slow start in the group, they are at the top of the group with nine points. Lyon are second with six. Lyon actually threw away a two-goal lead against Hoffenheim at home last time out. They were leading 2-0 at halftime. Second half came on. Hoffenheim got a red card and they still managed to throw away the lead. So it's bad for them. So they're three points behind Manchester City. They could have been on eight points with City on nine. But yeah, they did not get the win. And Manchester City are definitely in the driver's seat in this group and should be able to win the group comfortably with no issues. But yeah, they are playing away from home. Lyon beat Manchester City in Manchester. So let's see. Who knows what can happen? But I think in that match, Manchester City were... Really, I was really shocked by that performance. And I'm sure they're going to bounce back. I'm, th- I'm sure they're going to beat Leon this time around. Then we've got Juventus versus Valencia. If Juventus, Juventus get the win, then I believe Valencia will effectively be out of the Champions League. But that also depends on how United play against young boys. United has a home fixture against young boys. We expect United should get the win. And we also expect Juventus to beat Valencia. So if they do that, if Juventus beats Valencia, or even if they draw, if Valencia draws the match, they'll be on six points. And if United gets the win against Young Boys, they'll be on 10. So, yeah, I think United, definitely by winning that match away against Juventus, by pulling that great escape, and stealing those three points, they have definitely given them a very good shot of qualifying from this group. Well, let's see how that goes. United are very shaky. Who knows what could happen? They're playing young boys at home. Old Trafford is definitely not the theater of dreams that it used to be. It's more like the theater of nightmares recently. So, But surely, surely United cannot fuck this up. They cannot lose this match or draw. They have to get the win. But we'll see. And surely Valencia cannot get the win against Juve. I think Juve will be really frustrated at how they threw away that match against United. And they're going to be looking to dominate this match and effectively seal their position and top spot in the in the group. Next, we've got Bayern versus Benfica. Let's have a look at that group. Bayern and Ajax are... Well, Bayern is top of the group with 10 points. Ajax is second with 8 and Bayern should be able to get the win against Benfica. Benfica are in third position in the group. And I think despite their struggles, they shouldn't have any issue dispatching of, of Benfica at home. We've got Atletico Madrid versus Monaco. Monaco are just looking... They look desperate. They look so weak. They look like the shadow of the team that made it to the semis just a few seasons ago. They sold off all their best players. The recruitment didn't go so well this time around. Though they, they usually are they're well known for their like high level of recruitment and it didn't go well and they hired Thierry Henry. Henry 
has not done himself any favor since taking over this job. There's just no sign that Monaco are going to bounce back. And it's probably going to be better for them, actually, if they even, like, got out of this group in last position. Because then they can focus on the league and not get relegated because it looks like they're going to get relegated this season. It's still early. And it would be a big disappointment if they do, but they have a lot to play for. And, yeah, so Dortmund are on top of that group. They're level on points with Atletico. Dortmund are playing Club Bruges, so I expect Dortmund to get the win. I expect Atletico Madrid to get the win. So this group is going to be all to play for in the last match. Let's see how that goes. Then PSG versus Liverpool. It's all to play for for PSG. This is the make or break for their season. Their season could effectively be over already before Christmas if they do not get the win against Liverpool. This group is all to play for. Napoli on six points, Liverpool on six, PSG five points. And yeah, if PSG, PSG, this is a must win for them. And they could be without Neymar and possibly Mbappe. Mbappe looks like he's going to be fit though. He picked up an injury. He picked up a shoulder bruise in the friendly against against Uruguay. He was one-on-one with the keeper. Keeper took him out and he landed very awkwardly on his shoulder. It actually looked like a bad injury when I saw it on TV, but from all indications, it seems like it wasn't as bad as we expected and he should be fit. But Neymar, on the other hand, is fighting against time to be fit for this match. He strained his right adductor muscle. And yeah, he he got that injury in the match against Cameroon. The craziest thing about this injury, though, was that in training, he actually seemed that he, it seemed like he had the injury in training before the match and he still went ahead to play the match. So if that was true, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of disappointment. It seems like it was a clause in the contract that Brazil signed with Cameroon going into the match that if the best players were available and fit to play, they had to play. But if Neymar was not fit, I don't see why he would have taken the risk of aggravating an injury just to play in a meaningless friendly against Cameroon. And it was crazy that these two injuries were just within, I think, was it 30 minutes to an hour of each other? Neymar got the injury first, then Mbappe got it in his match. And yeah, PSG fans are going to be sweating, man. Mbappe should be fit, but Neymar is doubtful. It seems like it's a 50-50 shot of him playing this match. And Thomas Tuchel claims that he's not going to risk any of them if they're not fit. But I think that's all lies. I think I think they're going to pump in as many painkillers as they can into Neymar because this is an absolute must-win. I hear some fans arguing that it might actually be a blessing in disguise for PSG if Neymar is not fit. Most are saying that they'd rather have Mbappe fit than Neymar. I'm not really of that opinion because people are claiming that PSG will play as a, as a better team unit if Neymar doesn't play. The funny thing, though, is that last season, I remember this exact argument when they played against Real Madrid. Neymar got injured in the first leg and he was out of the second leg and they were saying, oh, this means PSG is going to come back and and win against Real Madrid because without Neymar, they're going to be playing as a better team. And that was definitely not what happened. PSG were clueless in that match. And 
it might be the same in this one, man, because they need all their players firing if they're going to beat Liverpool. This is a do-or-die match, and I'm really excited for this match, though, because the atmosphere is going to be is going to be ballistic. It's going to be crazy. PSG fans are going to be all out. I know PSG fans really, really know how to work up a good atmosphere during Champions League matches. Just the way Liverpool did when PSG visited, I'm sure the PSG fans are going to be looking to do the exact same thing. And yeah, this is going to be a very interesting match. I'm really looking forward to it. Ultimately, Napoli might be the main winners, though, because they've got a home fixture against Red Star Belgrade. That should be a straightforward three points for them. If they get the win, they're going to go up to nine points, and they're going to definitely have a good chance of qualifying from the group. The last match of the group, though, is going to be against Liverpool away from home. So, I mean, that could go either way. You don't know who's going to win that one. Napoli beat Liverpool in Naples. So Liverpool are definitely going to be looking out to do the same. But Liverpool has to get a result against PSG. I would say this is a must-not-lose. This match against PSG for Liverpool is a must-not-lose. If they lose the match, then they're going to be the ones who are going to be struggling to qualify from the group. So, yeah, the storylines in, ma- in this group are just crazy, man. I'm looking forward to it. Then we've got... So, yeah, Napoli versus Red Star. Should be a straightforward win for Napoli. But we'll see Napoli actually failed to beat Red Star away from home. And this is actually the reason why Napoli are still struggling to qualify from this group. I think if they had gotten the win, in all fairness, I think Napoli have actually been the best performers in this group because they should have gotten the win against Red Star. They failed to do that. And both home and away against PSG, they blew away leads. They should have won both matches. Well, they they came back from behind in the home fixture, but they created the better chances in the home fixture away from home as well. They blew the lead in the dying minutes. If they had been able to get anything out of, like at least one win out of those two matches, and they had beaten Red Star, I think they would have already won the group by now. But it's sad for them that they didn't, and they might pay for it. Let's see. PSV at home against Barcelona. Barcelona has effectively already won this group. And I think if they get the win, then they will have mathematically won. Well, okay, not mathematically. Yeah, they would have mathematically won the group because they'll be on 13 points. Even if Inter Milan beats Spurs and go on 10 points, Barcelona has already defeated them on head-to-head. So if Barcelona wins this match, they've won the group. And if they do that, I think Spurs fans are actually going to be rooting for Barcelona to win this match because... If Barcelona wins this group and Spurs are able to defeat Inter Milan, then Spurs and Inter will be on seven points and Spurs will be able to go up to the Camp Nou against a Barcelona team that has already qualified and might not be as up for it to win the match as they usually should be. So Spurs are going to have a fighting chance if Barcelona wins this match. But still, I don't really see Spurs going to the new camp and defeating even a B-team Barcelona. Spurs have themselves to blame as well. Just like Napoli, Spurs should be actually challenging Barcelona for top spot in this group. I mean, Spurs should have beaten Inter Milan away from home. They lost that match. They should have beaten PSG away, PSV away from home. They drew that. And they had to come back from behind just to beat PSV in in Wembley so they have themselves to blame man they should have gotten 
five extra points from this group that they failed to get. And yeah, sorry for them, man. I feel bad for them. But that's about it for the Champions League fixtures. Should be a lot of excitement, a lot of anticipation going into this. I'm definitely going to be watching. I'm sure all of you guys are going to be as well. And then I'm just going to talk about some controversy regarding the football leaks. These football leaks have just been rocking the football world. There's been more revelations coming out. And this involves Sergio Ramos. Ramos has just not been able to get his name out of headlines involving controversy to controversy since the Champions League final last year. But this allegation, this controversy is a lot more serious because Der Spiegel, who have been the newspaper that have been releasing all the all the reports from the football leaks, have claimed that Sergio Ramos failed a doping test after the 2017 Champions League final, which was against Juventus. They claim that he tested positive for a steroid used for inflammation, used for treating inflammation, and no disciplinary action was taken by UEFA. Real Madrid came out and they have completely denied this allegation. They came out with a statement and part of what it read said that the case was immediately closed by relevant authorities after specific information was given. Whatever that means, we don't know. But they have come out to deny the claims. And they also said that that was the only part that they were going to talk about because there was another allegation in the, in the same report that claims that after the Real Madrid versus Malaga match earlier this year, which was last season in April, that Sergio Ramos was reported to have um, insisted on taking a shower before taking a routine drug test, which was against protocol. Protocol says that he should have taken the drug test before doing anything else, but he went for a shower and then took the drug test. So I don't know if the shower maybe was able to clean out his system or they suspect that when he was taking the shower, he did something else to clean out his system. But that's what the allegations are saying. Real Madrid has said nothing about this aspect because they, in the statement, they said that they were only going to talk about the doping the failed doping test after the Champions League final last year. And they said that they wouldn't talk about any other part of this report because they were all unsubstantiated claims. They were all completely false claims. And then another side note is that they had a controversial club doctor called Jesus Olmo, who actually left the club by mutual agreement in July of 2017, which is just about a month or two after the Champions League final. So maybe the the suggestion is that it might have had something to do with that Champions League final. The club doctor had issues in the past because of problems, because of failing to treat injury problems of players like Bale and Ronaldo. And yeah, so, I mean, the allegations, these are very strong allegations. They're very, like, serious allegations to to put forth if there's no evidence to back it up. So we don't know, man. Hopefully this plays out and in the future we'll, we'll really know the truth behind this. But Real Madrid have completely denied 
and while there is some truth to the fact that he he was tested and there was definitely an issue because for them to say that the case was closed and that they gave specific information definitely means that some red flags were raised so let's see what the truth is about that i don't know if we're ever going to know but hopefully we will and football leagues man they just keep on bringing out more and more stories it's just absolutely crazy just rocking the football world to its knees right now but yeah i think that's about it for today though so you guys yeah it's i'm happy to talk to you guys once again i hope you guys enjoy the domestic football for the weekend and the champions league as well and i will be back next week to give a recap of the league matches and the champions league as usual so it's been nice talking to you guys once again you can find me on social media on instagram at d and on twitter at dk ballot that's d-k-b-a-l-a-t so thanks guys for listening as usual i hope you guys enjoyed this episode please leave a comment leave a rating as well it definitely helps to leave ratings and comments because that also helps other football crazy fans to find my podcast and listen to it so that would be i'll be really appreciated if you guys were able to just leave a review and a rating so thanks guys for listening and i will talk to you next week bye bye